Good morning, friends, and welcome to our Sunday morning podcast. My name's John Thorpe, and it's great to have you with us. And bonus points if you can recognize where I am standing right now. Uh, but wherever you are this long weekend, I hope you're having a fantastic time and enjoying just that little bit of extra freedom that we have right now. Today in our podcast, we're going to continue our series in 1 Peter. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the theme of submission and submitting to one another so that we might win others for Christ. But I think today is perhaps the most contentious of the three as we look at what does it mean for wives to submit to husbands and for husbands to honour their wives. We'll also be spending some time praying together. Uh, I'll interview Jack and hear a little of his story about how he became a Christian. And at the end, we'll be sharing together in the Lord's Supper. So if you haven't already, it might be a good idea to uh, pause the podcast now and grab some bread and some juice and some wine so that you can join with us in the Lord's Supper at the end. But right now, we're going to begin with some music. Enjoy. Lift up your voices and lift up your praise Join with the heavens declaring the wonders of His faithfulness forever Sing of the victory, the hope of the world The Savior has risen, the Spirit has come to bring us into i 
Good morning. My name is Pamela Rouse and I will be leading us in prayer this morning. We will praise our great God, confess our sins to him, thank him for all he has done for us, ask him to help us in our daily lives and finish with the Lord's Prayer. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let's do that now. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. For you, O Lord, are good to us. You care for your creation to the extent of sending your son Jesus to die for us. We can't stop praising you for this. But we confess that there are times when we forget all you have done for us. We don't talk to you or learn about you or live your way all of the time. Strengthen us to love and serve you and live our lives to your glory. Forgive us for the times we sin against you. Help us to love you and our neighbours and to live for your honour and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your daily care of us. Thank you for sustaining us through this COVID pandemic for giving us creative ways of meeting together and maintaining relationships. Thank you that you allow us to come before you to pour out our hearts to you and you hear us and answer our prayers. We pray that you will support, strengthen and encourage parents within our church family to honour you as they raise their children. Help them to be good models of you so their children learn to love Christ and live a life worthy of you. Heavenly Father, fill Samuel Tor, Ben and Phyllis Vandermeer, Richard and Carol Wells and Hazel Whitehouse with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order that they may live a life worthy of you and may please you in every way. May they bear fruit in every good work, grow in the knowledge of God, be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that they may have great endurance and patience and joyfully give thanks to you, their Father, who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Father, continue to enable our weekly podcast to be an encouraging time for our members and others. Help those who make it happen to have the time, patience and skills to produce it each week, and may it be an opportunity for the community to hear the gospel. May the service be such an encouragement of all you have done for us, that we cannot but speak of the things we have seen and heard to our family, friends, neighbours and work colleagues throughout the week. We pray for Shane, Ruth, Kai, Joel and Finn Sparks as they consider their future. Give them clarity and wisdom as they talk to mission leaders about where to go from here. We also pray for Shane as he talks to Alex and pray that the darkness will be broken and a new opportunity will present itself for him to come to know and put his trust in you. This week we pray for Glen Quarry Anglican Church, that they may continue to grow in their love for and knowledge of you despite these difficult times. And let's finish by saying together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Good morning everyone. I'm here with Jack and we thought we'd just share a little bit of uh, his story about you know, how he's become a Christian. So uh, Jack, thanks for doing this. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, you, you grew up uh, in the Illawarra area. Yeah, who was in your family and what's something you loved about growing up? Uh, well, I've got four brothers and three sisters in our family. And, um, yeah, what do I, like in the younger days, we were always the picnics and the day out. Yep. Because in those days you had a weekend. Yep. It was a five-day working day and you had two days off. So Beautiful. It was always good. Picnicking, weekending was always good. Yep. So, and a little bit later on, uh, what did you do for work? Uh, I was a baker to start with, yep. bread carter, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, that's what I did yeah, for, for quite a while. Yep. Now you're married to Ruth, uh, who's behind the camera, by uh, Ruth. <laughs> uh, uh, how did you guys meet? Uh, we met in Wollongong mm -hmm. uh, one night, and from then on it's just, you know, who goes? Okay, and how long have you been married for? Ah, right, now you ask. Uh, 54, 55, 56. 56, well, as long as you're roughly in the area, right? You know, close enough. That's Around good. that. Yeah, that's right. Could have, I'm trying to work it out now. <laughs> so, you've been a Christian for a while. Uh, how did you come to be a Christian, and what does that mean for you? Uh, well, I've always believed there was a God. And I always always thought in the earlier years that he was sort of a policeman. You know, you did something wrong, God would punish you. Mm. So I was always a bit terrified in that area. My dad always went to church, so I used to go with him quite often. And uh, well, once we got married, uh, Ruth's dad was, had a lot of influence on me. He was a really good guy. And um, a fellow here at Oak Flats, uh, the minister there, he, he actually pointed out that God's not a policeman, that you need Christ in your life. Yep. And that's when it really stung a little bit more to, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit more than what I thought of before. Mm. So uh, I think that was a wake-up call. Yep. Yeah, thank you. And you've been Christian for a long time now, you know, through all the joys and the challenges of life. Uh, what, what's the one bit of advice you'd give, you know, to others? Well, life's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then again, Christ is always, he's there in our ups and downs. Mm. We do have ups and downs and you always have them. But if you've got Christ in your life, you've got something to hang on to. And I think that's that's how it helped me and Ruth to go through many trials. Yeah, great. So I'd say keep on keeping on like Burgess Paint years ago. Yeah. You know? Once you've got Christ, and once you've got that in, in its right perspective, yep. the whole world's a different thing. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Thanks heaps, mate. Really appreciate right. it. And back to our podcast. Right. Our reading this morning comes from 1 Peter, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self 
the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters, if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Hi, as we get into this passage, let me begin by praying. Dear Lord, I pray as we reflect on your word now, that the joy and the peace and the salvation we have through your Son might be so evident in our lives that those we love might see the difference and turn back to you. Amen. Whenever I talk to Christians with unbelieving spouses, they almost always say three things. Uh, the first thing they say is how much they love their husband or wife. And of course, that's, the, that's what we want every uh, married couple to say. The second thing they say is how much they would love for that person to be saved and to come to Christ. And the third thing is, there's almost always a touch of sadness because their faith, which is so fundamental to their personhood, is something they can talk about with their spouse, but it's not something they share together. And then for a few, uh, their faith is a source of real tension in their marriage because they come to life with very different worldviews. And so that impacts how they spend time together. It impacts their financial priorities. It impacts how they raise their children. This particular passage is focused on wives, uh, talking about how they might win their unbelieving husbands. But as we read the passage, it's, it's difficult not to become distracted by the language of submission. Because for many of us, the word submission is associated with other words like coercion and powerlessness. And even though it's for a good cause of winning our husband, we don't like the idea of ever being in a position where we feel that vulnerable. And I think those negative associations are then reinforced within the passage with other words like gentle and quiet and weaker partner. And so we find a passage like this, at best tone deaf, and at worst perpetuating a social and gender stereotype that actually places women at risk. And that reaction is not unjustified. There are Christian men and even ministers who abuse their wives and then justify their sinful behaviour using the Bible. And there are Christian wives who want to honour God and they want to honour their marriage vows, who put up with it and keep justifying their behaviour and keep being willing to forgive and live in a situation which they should never be living in. And so this is how one Australian journalist described the situation for Christian marriages in Australia. Overall, we heard repeatedly from counsellors and psychologists that Christian women are less likely to leave abusive marriages, more likely to blame themselves for abuse, more prone to believe the abuse will change, and unlikely to be protected by their pastors. That is an absolutely tragic assessment of the situation. And can I encourage you, if you are in an abusive relationship, then reach out and get help. As Christians, we are absolutely committed to marriage, but there is a time when separation and divorce 
are the right and godly things to do. So acknowledging how this passage might be misused, let's see what it actually says about wives submitting to husbands, and in particular, in the context of unbelieving husbands. So this passage is part of a bigger conversation about submission, and it started in chapter two with these words. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then Peter went on to talk about what it looks like to submit to those in government and how to be good citizens in society. And that feels particularly relevant in this season of COVID. And then last week it got a little bit more personal as we talked about submitting to those who have authority over us. And so the direct context was slaves submitting to their masters, but there was a principle that we could apply in terms of how we submit to our bosses or how we might submit to a lecturer, uh, even if they've taken a disliking to us because we're a follower of Christ. And so this section fits within that bigger theme of submission. And today it gets even more personal still as we talk about submitting in the context of marriage. And so verse one, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Peter addresses wives specifically in the context of unbelieving husbands because that was the situation they were facing in the early church. But the passage is just as relevant today for husbands who have unbelieving wives. And the point is, how do we live in such a way that we might win the other person for Christ? But this passage does also have something to say about roles in the family. The words in the same way connect back to the theme of submission, not to the theme of harsh masters. Uh, but even so, uh, that word submission is a little bit like fingernails, you know, grating down the blackboard. You know, God has built order into everything. Uh, we see it in creation, we see it in the natural laws of nature, we see it in our work, and we see it in our family. We are all created equal. We are all created in the image of God, but we are also created differently. And so in marriage, my wife isn't just my partner, she is my complementer. So my maleness is complemented by her femaleness and vice versa. Of course, it's not always possible to have a husband and a wife in a family, and simply having a husband and a wife doesn't guarantee a happy or healthy family. But perhaps even more contentious in our culture is the biblical view that men are to lead their families. You know, it's not about who goes out and earns the money or who stays home to look after the children. It's not about who chooses where you go on holiday or the colour of the couch. Uh, it's not about who's the most assertive or outgoing. It's about taking responsibility for leading your family in godliness. It's about making sure that your wife and children feel safe and secure. And it's about making godly choices about how we spend our time and use our financial resources and use our gifts. You know, everyone in the family has a role and responsibility, but husbands are called to lead. Uh, the problem is that so often we fail to do that well, or we twist our role uh, to make it something that is actually profoundly ungodly and really is just compensating for our own inadequacies. 
You know, in the context of this passage, you know, leading our family doesn't give husbands the right to try and force submission. Uh, submission is something that must be willingly given. You know, we give it because we love the other person, because we want to express our devotion uh, to the other person. And if a wife chooses not to submit to a husband, then that's something they should talk about as a couple, um, because communication is important. But ultimately, that's a decision between her and God. And so the right response isn't for a husband to try to force or coerce or manipulate. As we'll see later, the right response is to honour their wives. So even though there are plenty of people who will look at a Christian view of marriage and family and say that we're wrong, the best response isn't to argue back. Uh, the best response is to show people why God's way works. So in this passage, Peter is addressing wives with unbelieving husbands, and he's saying choose to submit, not out of fear or obligation, but simply so that your behaviour might win them to Christ. For these wives, having a different religion to their husband was already a big deal and perhaps a source of tension within their marriage and certainly social tension. And so these wives want to say to their husbands, my first allegiance may well be to Christ, but that doesn't diminish my commitment to our marriage and my commitment to you. In fact, it strengthens it. And she demonstrates how her devotion to Christ strengthens the family by being willing to submit to her husband. And in doing so, she honours God, but she also honours him. You know, no one is ever going to become a Christian simply by seeing our good behaviour. Uh, there's just not enough there to go, nice person, I need to follow Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And we need our words. We need to tell people about the hope that we have in Christ. But we also know that often our actions speak louder than our words. And so we need to show people what it means for us to follow Christ and to make that message compelling. And if Peter was talking to husbands who had unbelieving wives, then he would say to them, lead your family well, honour your wife, and as you do that, you will make the good news about Jesus more real. And so as we continue in our passage, we get a picture of what behaviour is compelling. So continuing in verse 2. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from an outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of greater worth in God's sight. So the husband should be able to see her reverence for God. She doesn't worship the Roman gods. She doesn't participate in the sexual revelry that went with some of the local religious cults. But Peter also wants to emphasise the attractiveness of character. Uh, there's nothing wrong with fashion, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good, but of infinitely more value is character. Uh, Peter is talking to wives, but if he was addressing husbands, he would say the same thing. He would say, you know, it's not your sculpted pectorials or your flash car or the size of your wallet that makes you attractive. It's being a good husband, it's leading your family well, it's helping your wife to feel loved and secure. Uh, and if every now and again we could put the toilet seat down, I think that would also be appreciated. Uh, but I suspect we're a little bit uncomfortable with this passage 
as it describes godly character because the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit sounds a little bit weak. It sounds a little bit like the 50s stereotype of a housewife who's seen but not heard. Uh, Peter is addressing wives, but these aren't particularly feminine qualities. Uh, they're Christian qualities. And so, for example, the prophet Isaiah says these words, The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in a peaceful dwelling, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. And Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So they're not particularly feminine qualities, and gentleness and quietness aren't the same as timidity. Uh, so we should still speak our mind. We should still speak out about bad behaviour and injustice. We should have strong opinions. But we don't need to have a strong opinion about everything. And if we're always trying to fight for our rights or our perceived rights, then inevitably we're going to have a lot of conflict in our home. I don't think any wife wants an argumentative, overbearing husband. And I don't think a husband wants an argumentative, overbearing wife. And Peter is saying, if you want an example, then look to the godly women of the Old Testament. And in particular, look to the example of Sarah, who was married to Abraham. So verse 6, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, you are her daughter if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. In terms of Jewish history, Sarah really was the ultimate role model of virtue. And Peter is saying, if you follow her example, if you submit to your husband, if you do good, if you resist fear, then truly you are her daughter. You share in the same promises that God made Sarah and Abraham. Uh, but you're also her daughter in spirit. Uh, there's no greater compliment than to be associated with someone who you admire deeply. But with submission also comes a real fear. Uh, for a wife, it might be a fear about how her husband will respond to her faith. It might be a fear that she will lose her sense of identity or her sense of power. It might be how her peers respond when she's no longer quite as enthusiastic about hairstyles and fashion and how she looks. So choosing to submit to someone else takes real strength and conviction. And ultimately, her motivation is a desire to see her husband come to Christ. Finally, let's talk about husbands. And in one sense, verse 7 uh, is a little bit of a digression because it's not about how one person submits to win another person for Christ. It's about how a husband honours his wife. So verse 7, Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And once again, as we read these words in our context, there's plenty of opportunity to be offended, because only two words really stand out to us. Uh, it's not be considerate, or with respect, or gracious gift, it's weaker partner. So before we throw stones at the screen and storm out or turn it off, uh, why don't we just take a moment and persevere and see what this passage is actually saying. 
So in the same way that wives are to do good for the sake of their husbands, husbands are called to do good for the sake of their wives. And that means forsaking their needs for the needs of their wife. You know, respect doesn't adequately capture uh, the full meaning of the word here. A better word uh, to describe uh, their relationship to their wife would be honour. So the husband has a particular role leading the family, but he leads by honouring his wife. Uh, the Apostle Paul has something similar to say in the book of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrifice and honour aren't just about the big dramatic things of life. It's not just a willingness to jump in front of a bus to save her and then you know, feeling like the rest of life we can just sort of sit around on the couch like a bit of a bum. It's about making choices every day to build up rather than tear down. It's about being conscious of our mood and our temper and how that impacts the rest of our family. It's about valuing her opinion and being quick to listen and affirming her role in the home or outside of the home. And it's about making sure that she feels sexually loved and not just sexually used. A secular view of relationships starts by making it all about me and my needs. And then we try to work out how do I accommodate the other person into my life. A Christian view of relationships starts with the other person and recognising their needs and recognising how do we satisfy them so they feel loved. And it works best when both parties are trying really hard to make sure the other person feels like their needs are being met. In one sense, both approaches want the same outcome, that everyone's needs are met. But they start from a very different place and they start with a very different motivation. And so that changes the dynamic dramatically. Because for the person who makes it all about them and their needs, then often there's a level of frustration when their needs aren't being met. Or when they feel that they're trying hard to meet the needs of the other person, but the other person isn't keeping up their end of the deal. Now for Christians though, we get to take a real pleasure in seeing the other person having their needs met. And hopefully we also have a real freedom in enjoying when other people, when our wife or our husband, is satisfying our needs. So why would Peter say that women are weaker? He certainly doesn't mean inferior. Both men and women are created in the image of God. We are equal. We are co-heirs in eternal life. But whenever we submit to someone else, we relinquish power. And that makes us more vulnerable. As a generalisation, women are weaker than men physically. And again, that makes them more vulnerable. And tragically, we see that in things like domestic violence statistics. As a generalisation, women are weaker financially. And that was certainly true back then, when a woman was completely financially dependent on her husband. Uh, but even today, uh, as we have more women in the workforce, we still see women being more vulnerable. And so, believe it or not, there's still pay inequality, which I find astounding. Uh, if wives take time away from work to raise children, then that has an impact on career advancement and job opportunities and later on superannuation. And so again, all of those things make wives more vulnerable. And then it's made even worse when husbands fail to support them in the way that they should.
So it's not your money or their money, it's our money. You know, when we marry, two people become one. And it's a bit like the Trinity, uh, three persons, but each person having a unique role and a unique contribution to the whole. And certainly that should also be true in marriage, where we work together to satisfy the needs of the other and to make sure everyone feels secure. You know, this passage is primarily about wives submitting to unbelieving husbands so that they might win them for Christ. But it does also have a lot to say about marriage generally, about how we love one another and how we satisfy the needs of the other person. And it's not about, you know, putting me first. It's about saying, no, we put God first. We put the other person second and we place ourselves third. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to be willing to submit to another person, then we really are trusting that God knows best. And we need to be motivated by a deep conviction that our behaviour and our willingness to submit might have a positive impact on their life, that we might be able to win them for Christ. And so let's pray that we might have that sense of conviction, that we are willing to give up our rights for the sake of the other. Let me pray. Dear Lord, it's so easy to take your grace for granted and to become ungrateful and complacent. I pray that by your spirit you might help us to truly appreciate the salvation we have through your Son. I pray that our love for you and our love for others might overwhelm our selfishness and fear and that we might be willing to do whatever it takes within our power to save those around us. Amen. We're now going to share together in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the unity we share in Christ because of his death for us on the cross. But it also reminds us of the unity we share together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let me begin by declaring what we believe as Christians with the words of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Apostolic Church, the fellowship of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life eternal. Amen. Let me continue by recounting the events of the Last Supper as described by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in obedience to Christ and his commands, let's take this bread and eat remembering that Christ's body was broken for us. After supper, he took the cup and again giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you 
and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's now drink together, remembering Christ's blood shed for us. Let me close in prayer. Dear Father, thank you that in the events of the cross you demonstrated your love for us and while we were still far off, you brought us near. Thank you that through the sacrifice of your Son, we can be confident of our salvation, united together through your Son and by your Spirit, and heirs to eternal fellowship together with you. Amen. That brings us almost to the end of our time together this morning. If you're watching this on Sunday morning on Facebook, it would be great if you could go on and say hi or leave a comment, just as a small way of encouraging everyone. In the week ahead, uh, for the first time, we've got Cross Life Kids and Cross Life Youth uh, back face-to-face, -face, meeting at the church. So it would be great to have everyone back for that. Parents, you'll receive uh, more information during the week. And if you're watching this podcast and your kids haven't been involved in Cross Life Kids or Cross Life Youth in the past, then drop us a message and we will send you more details. But that's it from us. Have a fantastic weekend. Have a fantastic week. Uh, keep loving one another and keep serving the Lord as we seek to honour him. Have a great week.